Welcome to Lakeland Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Lakeland, please visit our website at lakeland.church. Well, well, well. Good morning, morning. How's everyone doing? Good, good, good. Hey, would you help me give a shout out to everyone joining us online? Just say hey, hey, hey and shout. Oh, you really did it. Hey, hey, hey. That was great. Awesome. Way to go. <laughs> Um, I am, I'm excited. It's been a few weeks uh, since I've been up here preaching. I get antsy. I get like really fired up and ready to be back in the pulpit. Um, so I'm excited to be here. I was thinking uh, after the first service that some of you, if, if this is your first time here, you might be, be like, man, they're singing a lot about miracles and wonders. And is that, is that all this church is about? And, and um, I was thinking, like, well, yeah. Like, if from this perspective, um, I don't know if you're aware, but this is like the mark of God. From, with him in his relationship with his people from the very beginning was how he was a wonder-working God. Like, think about it all the way back the, to the Old Testament when, um, when the people of Israel, like, they crossed the Jordan River. What did Joshua tell? He, he told all the, the elders, like these 12 elders, one from each of the tribes, to get a big stone. And then as they came out of the Jordan River, they, they kind of stacked them on top of one another, made this big pillar. And, uh, and the whole point was that you would have these places that mark God's wonder-working the, the wonder-working God. So the generations later, when kids would say, why is that stack of rocks there? The, the parents would say, oh, that's because when God worked a, a miracle and he split the Jordan River and all the people of Israel walked through it into the promised land. It, it was all about reminding our hearts about where God was a wonder-working God. And so um, do I believe God's a wonder-working God? You bet I do. And it's bigger and more than just a spiritual transaction of what can take place from taking people who are spiritually dead and separated from God and don't have a relationship with him to being restored into relationship with him through faith in Jesus. Like that is a miracle, yes. But the gospel is more holistic and it's bigger actually than just a spiritual transaction or transition from people who are dead spiritually to becoming alive spiritually. At the cross, all things were reconciled to him. Colossians 1. It says, at the cross, all things were reconciled to him. What's included in all things? All things. All things that are broken in this, in, cosmically in our world has the potential for us to see it restored to God's original intent. So when we, when we approach things and we're like, he's a wonder-working God, he's a miracle-working God, it is that miracle of seeing what is broken and out of sorts due to the brokenness of this world and due to sin come back into alignment with heaven on this side of, of, of heaven. This, this side of it. Does that all make sense? God's a wonder-working God. Sorry, that's just bonus message for you, so... <laughs> Let's get into it. Let me ask you a question, though, for today as we launch into week four of Lake Life. Um, have you ever experienced this, where you learn something in one area of your life, and you realize it was supposed to translate to another area of your life, but it never did? Like, let me give you an example. Sometimes, like, as my kids grow up, I'll, we give them additional chores that they have to take on and, and do. So, like, when they eventually get to the place where it's like, hey, you need to clean the entire bathroom. That includes the bathroom floor. I need you to wash the bathroom floor. And they always respond to me this way. Whenever they get a, a, a chore for the first time, especially something like that, they're like, I don't know what to do. I've never done it before. And to which case I'm like, well, guys, this one is not that hard, washing the bathroom floor. I was like, have you ever washed a counter before? 
Yeah, like thousands of times. Okay, so what do you do? Well, you get a, like a warm, soapy rag and you wash the horizontal surface until it's clean. Now, we're going to translate that. We're going to go four feet down, get a warm, soapy rag, wash the horizontal surface until it's clean. You know, and it's like, it's not like that difficult, but they go, I don't know. I don't know how to do it. Of course they do know how to do it. They just haven't translated or connected the dots from what they knew over here to how it's supposed to be connected over there. And unfortunately we do this spiritually as well. We as Christians, we see God work here, but we don't connect the dots, how God actually intends us to connect the dots for how he wants to work over there. Or he worked over there and he wants to work over here in your life, but you don't see how they're connected, but in, to him, they're totally connected. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at a, a, a situation that happens in scripture where the disciple uh, is actually pointing this out. He's saying this was God's, Jesus's intention for us, is that we would connect the dots. And if you're ever wondering, maybe for you in life, maybe you're wondering like, what am I supposed to be doing right now? Like, I feel like I'm on the bathroom floor of my life. And it's not pretty. I'm a little confused. What do I do right here? Well, the answer to that question is likely found in what God has done in your life in the past or even in someone else's life in your proximity in their past that's supposed to determine and set you on a trajectory for your future and what you're supposed to do right now while you're on the bathroom floor of your life. And so uh, we're, as we're continuing in this series, Lake Life, we're looking at encounters with Jesus on a by the lake. He, the, the biggest place where they had their encounters were, was around the Sea of Galilee. It's also referred to as a lake in scripture. Um, and what's beautiful is we see actually um, single accounts recorded by multiple disciples. So we've got the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the best way that I always picture this is this is four different disciples giving their eyewitness account of the accounts of, of Christ's life. The thing is that a lot of times the disciples do is they emphasize different aspects of the account for their purpose of what they're trying to drive home, their main point. So we're actually going to look at an account, a story uh, that Jason, Pastor Jason looked at two weeks ago, but in Matthew it's recorded and he talks all about Peter walking on water and that was Jason's whole point. We're going to be looking at that same account, but it's found in Mark and Mark doesn't even uh, include Peter walking on water in his account. But picture it like this. I've often uh, likened it this way. If, uh, if there was an accident and a police officer showed up and said, hey, uh, uh, and asked four different people what happened or who was involved in the accidents, person one might say, hey, there was a guy driving a black SUV. SUV. Person two might say uh, it was a guy driving a Cadillac Escalade. Person three might say it was a guy wearing a NASCAR shirt. Person four might say it was a guy with a beard. Are they contradicting one another? No, they're just building a holistic picture of everything that was included. So we know that the guy was driving a black Cadillac SUV, uh, a Cadillac Escalade, uh, wearing an NASCAR shirt, and he had a beard. And so you, you put it all together. So when we get the Gospels, and you're like, whoa, he didn't even include that in his story. It's just, he's, he's telling his perspective of his account, a lot of times for a point, though, okay? And so we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 6 uh, in this really cool account. And I, I just, I love it. So we're going to have fun. You going to have fun today? I'm going to have fun today, and you will too, trust me. Okay, so let's just dive in. Mark chapter 6, this is verse uh, 45, and it says this, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed 
the crowd. Okay, so it says immediately. Immediately after what? What just took place? If you go to the previous verses, you're going to find out what just happened. And what just happened is Jesus and his disciples just fed 5,000 people. Okay, there was the feeding of the 5,000 where uh, they multiplied these loaves of bread and fish and everyone was fed. Now, if I can go back a little bit to that feeding of the 5,000, just highlight some things that took place in it. So here's how the account kind of begins is there's this massive crowd. They're all getting hungry. The disciples say, listen, we should probably send them away to get some food. And Jesus in verse 37, Mark 6, 37, he says this, he goes, you give them something to eat. Looks to his disciples, says, you guys give them something to eat. Now, here's the deal. Just pay attention. Anytime Jesus or God with us as well tells us to do something, Amen. It's a good point. Anytime Jesus tells his disciples to do something or God tells us to do something, he doesn't do it just to taunt you or to say, don't you wish you could? So when he says to his disciples, you give them something to eat, it's not like Jesus is going, but you can't, but I'm the son of God, God incarnate, and I'll be able to. That's not what he's doing. When he says, You give them something to eat. He's saying this is actually something that you're capable of pulling off. But they're overwhelmed by the the opportunity, if you will. And so Jesus does some hand-holding in this miracle. So in the next verses, it says that, it's like verse 41. It says that Jesus said, what do you guys got? And they come up with five loaves of bread and two fish. And he gives thanks to the Lord, breaks it. And then it says he gives it to his disciples. And his disciples start to distribute it, take up 12 leftovers or 12 basketfuls of leftovers. No, there's 12 disciples. And what Jesus is trying to do is he's helping them connect the dots to how, listen, I told you, you guys feed them. You were like, not in, not, not it, not going to do it. Don't know how to approach it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to help you participate in it. Probably the biggest lesson in the feeding of the 5,000 is not what Jesus can do, but what Jesus is trying to hand over to the disciples to do. He's trying to help them realize what they're capable of. And he knows what they're capable of doing. And if I could say it this way for you and I, it would be this. Is that he sees all you can do when all you see is the hurdle in front of you. And this is what the disciples are facing. He sees all that they can do. You feed them. But all they can see is the hurdle that's in front of them. 5,000 people that are hungry. And six months worth of wages is what it would take to feed them. And, And so... But God does the same thing for us. He looks at you and he goes, listen, I'm going to give you commands. I'm going to tell you something that you need to do. I'm going to prompt in your heart to do something. And I'm not doing it just to say, ha, 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 don't you wish you could. I believe in you. I see what you're capable of. But a lot of times your eyes get fixed and focused on the hurdle. Okay, so let me just now tell kind of the story. And then we're going to dive into scripture and work our way through it. So what happens immediately after they feed the 5,000 is he sends his disciples in a boat to go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. He goes up on a mountainside to pray. While he's praying all night long, he can see uh, wind in the waves start like stirring up in uh, the Sea of Galilee. And they are fighting the wind in the waves, trying to get over to Bethsaida. And he can see they're fighting in the wind in the waves. So he goes walking on the water out to them. Once he gets to them, they're terrified. Uh, he gets in the boat. All the wind in the waves go, go still and, and, and calm. And, uh, and then they make it to the other side. Okay, so now let's dive into the, the verses here in Mark. And let's see what, how Mark records this. So Mark chapter 6, verse 46, it says this. 
After leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and it was alone. And, and he was alone on land. Now you just need to know this: this lake, it's about as wide as Lake Geneva. It's seven miles wide, but it's not a long, skinny lake like Lake Geneva. It's a big, round circle, almost like an oval. So for them to go from one side to another, um, P.S. They didn't have their really nice motorboats that we got today, right? They are rowing. And when wind and waves come against you uh, and you have to cross a lake that's seven miles wide, that is a big task. And so they are fighting to make it across. Okay, so next verse. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them. Now, this is so funny to me on, on so many like levels, but let me just highlight a few things uh, out of this that, that Mark bothers to, to capture. He says this, shortly before dawn. Okay, so now Jesus sent them out at, at evening to go to Bethsaida. And now it's shortly before dawn. So this is all night long they've been rowing. Now here's my question. My question is, is Jesus slow in coming or is he up to something different? Is Jesus, like what's he doing waiting till nearly dawn? Is Jesus slow in arriving or was Jesus trying to give ample time to the disciples to try to solve their earthly problem with a different kingdom solution? Was he actually trying to provide time for them to try to approach their situation differently? So I can imagine that Jesus is like probably 10 p.m. He's up on the mountain. He can see the disciples in the moonlight and they're straining at the wind, you know, against the, the wind and against the waves. And he's like, and they're, they're, they're rowing. There they are. 11. Huh. Still rowing. Midnight. Not going to try another option, are you guys? And keep rowing. One. Oh, brother. Still rowing. Two. Still rowing. See, for you and I, is it possible that when we're sitting there going, God, where are you? When are you going to work in my situation? That is it possible that he's not slow in showing up? He's actually trying to give you ample time to approach it in a different way. He's going to say, hey, when are you going to try to approach this not in your own strength? Now, I get it. If you're in a lake, in a boat, and wind and waves are coming against you, and you've got paddles or, or, or oars in your hand, the most natural thing to do is row. But he's trying to, for the disciples to, to get them to start shifting their whole mindset to instead of always approaching it in the most natural earthly effort, shift your mind entirely and let's figure out if, if there's another solution. In fact, there's going to be multiple other solutions that Jesus is going to show to them. One solution they haven't tried is walking on water. Another solution is just telling the wind and waves to go calm. Like, but so he's just, I would argue he's actually trying to give them ample time to try to approach their situation differently and you and I the same way. Well, a lot of times we're sitting there going, listen, I, I've got this hurdle that's in front of me and I'm trying to solve the problem. I'm still trying to pro solve the problem. Oh, did I tell you I'm still trying to solve the problem? God, where are you? God, where are you? God, where are you? Jesus is just watching us going, when are you going to try a different approach? You're just trying the same thing your own effort in your own ability, and how about you shift from earthly solutions to heavenly solutions over your situation. And so now check out what happens. 
<laughs> I love this. Oh, no, 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 no. Go back, go back, go back. Um, oh, no, go back. One more. I think. I could be wrong. I, I don't know. I'm just up here preaching. All right. Um, all right, now this is great. Verse 48. He was about to pass by them. Does anyone else find that hilarious? <laughs> I love that. It's almost, I don't know if it's almost like, like, like he's sitting there going, you know what, this is so easy. And he, I don't know if it's the wind and the waves are just big and he loses sight of where they're at. And he's like, oh, I forgot what I was doing. I'm coming out here to save these, these losers. I don't know what's going on. But he's like, he literally, or maybe he's passing by. He's like, ah, I should probably go help those guys out. You know, but he's literally about to pass by. But here's the point. Are you ready for it? The simple point is this. Uh, is that God's kingdom solution will always outpace your earthly effort every time. His kingdom solution will walk right past your earthly effort every time. It will outpace it every time. I've experienced this like when I'm writing a message even, and I like, I'll, I'll write a statement. I'll be like, ooh, that's a good statement. When I say that, the Spirit of God might fall in the place and someone might just give their life to Christ right then. And then I say it, and it like lands flat. I'm like, what happened? And then, and, then I, and then another like random statement just comes out of me. And I say it's random, but it's not random at all. It's the Holy Spirit. And I'm always begging the Holy Spirit, just take control of my mouth. You say what needs to be said. You know, and so it's the Holy Spirit brings something. It's this random thought that just kind of comes out, but that's where all the power's at. And every person afterwards is like, when you said that, oh my word, my life is forever changed. You know, and it's like, what, what happened? Well, his kingdom will outpace, his kingdom uh, will outpace my earthly effort every time. Every time. And so, I don't know about you, but uh, what he's up to in your life will outpace anything that you're up to in your life without him. What he's up to in your life will outpace anything that you try to do in your life without him. So now let's continue on. Next verse. Now I know. Now I know I want to go on. Okay. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Okay. Let's walk. Let's talk this thing through. Okay. So they see him coming out and they thought he was a ghost. Now, <laughs> I don't want to fault them for thinking it's a ghost. I mean, they've seen some crazy stuff, Right. These guys see nutty things, and they've been seeing nutty things for years. They've been walking with Jesus now for a, a, at least a year and a half. And, um, and they've actually, a, a, about a month prior to this moment, they were sent out two by two to perform miracles. And one of the things that they did is they cast out demons, they healed people, they saw crazy stuff. Now here's the deal for me. It's not that, they, not that this is as strange of their response, this is what's strange to me of their response. Right here, this line. That they were terrified. See, if these guys have seen demons, let's assume that this is almost like a demon out there. Why in the world are they terrified? The reason why I say why is because just a month earlier, they're all casting out demons. They come back saying, glorifying God and praising God in heaven and saying, even the demons uh, obey us and they flee from us. And so then why are they terrified here? And here's the, the why. The why is because this time they're surrounded by wind and waves. See, their situation is so chaotic around them that what often happens is where you've been successful in the past can seem overwhelming when you're, when you're in the middle of, of, of a crazy life 
and then you end up finding yourself falling to fear. So I just, if I could say beware of anything, it's beware of where your heart will go uh, when you're in the middle of chaos. Because where you've been successful in the past, you might actually find yourself falling to fear where you're actually designed to be successful. You're designed to actually have a win. You're designed to be victorious, and yet they find themselves falling into terror simply because of the wind and the waves. And I know some of you are like, listen, my life is so crazy. If you only knew my story. I've got a good pastor friend of mine, and uh, one of his most famous lines that he says to, that he says when we're talking back and forth, is he'll say this line, he'll go, you can't make this stuff up. When he's talking about what someone's going through in his congregation or something like that. And, uh, and the whole point is this, is that we hear so many stories and they are so what seem absolutely crazy. It almost seems like it's made up, but it's not made up. It's real. And here's one of the greatest things that the enemy tries to do is he tries to get you to believe that you're the only one. You're the only one going through a life that's just crazy. And I'm telling you, just look to your left and look to your right. Go ahead, do it. As you look to those people, I just want you to, I, I literally want look at look at them. Because their life has probably been as crazy or crazier than yours. It legitimately has. I've heard so many people's stories and you're like, you, you can't make this stuff up. The life stories that so many of us go through seem so chaotic. And in the chaos, the enemy is going to try to always get fear to creep in. But, and that's what happens here. So they're terrified. But notice how Jesus' response to them. He spoke to them. And he said, take courage. It is I don't be afraid. Now here's the big thing that you need to know. Every time Jesus says, don't be afraid, he doesn't say it to shame you, or he doesn't, and he doesn't say it to try to just be like a, a motivational speaker to say, if you just muster up some strength to overcome your anger, or, or not your anger, your fear. Every time uh, he says, don't be afraid, he doesn't say it to make you feel bad. He says it because he wants you to see what's actually uh, within arm reach of you that will help you overcome your fear. So for what's within arm reach of them? Courage. Take it. He says, take courage. There's something within arm reach of you, something within reach of you that you can take hold of that is greater than the thing that's taken hold of your heart, which is fear. Let me say it again. There's always, every time he says, do not be afraid, he's trying to remind you there is something that you can take hold of that is greater than the fear that has taken hold of you. He's not doing it to shame you. He's not doing it to guilt you. He's not doing it to make you feel bad. He's trying to get you to be redirected in your attention. Stop looking at your fear. And I want you to take what is yours. And the reason why you can take courage is because of his presence. Wherever he is, courage is there with him. And he says, it is I, meaning I am here and you've got this. It's present. It would be cruel of me, back to that bathroom illustration, for me to tell my kids, wash the bathroom floor and give them no uh, supplies or no know-how of how to do it, right? Be like, wash the bathroom floor, figure it out. No, that would, that would be kind of cruel if I didn't give them the washcloths and things like that, and, and here's how to do that. In the same way, Jesus doesn't say, don't be afraid, figure it out. He doesn't. He says, don't be afraid. Let me show you, let me give you what is necessary for you to be successful in not living in fear. Let me give you the supplies, if you will. The supply is courage, and I'm here with you to show you how to utilize it. 
Are you alive? That is an amen. That's a good point. I think I'm going to just think about that a little bit more. All right. Let's continue. I got to get to the end here. I spoke, I preached long at the nine. I'm not, I'm going to be better this time. I always say that. We'll see. All right. Mark 6, 51. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. Now here's, this is the main point. Listen to this next line. For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Remember each disciple, when they tell the account, they're trying to emphasize something. Mark here is trying to, this is his exclamation point at the end of his story. He's trying to get everyone who will read this to get this point. And he says this, for they had not understood about the loaves. Now here's the question, what do loaves, because remember when he says loaves, what's he talking about? He's talking about the multiplying of of the loaves and the fish that fed the 5,000. So question, what do loaves have to do with wind and waves? What what does the miracle or the multiplying of loaves have to do with this situation that they're in right now? Here's what it has to do with. And I know it sounds like they're not connected. One's food, the other is nature. But to God, they're completely connected. To God, they're, they're all in the same sandbox. They are earthly problems that can access a heavenly solution. That's what they are. They are earthly problems that can access a heavenly solution. One is we got to feed people. The other one is wind and waves coming against you. But they're both earthly problems that can access a heavenly solution. So here's how the loaves are connected. Whenever or wherever you've seen God work in the past is to become the standard for how you're to approach your current situation or expect him to show up in your current situation. So when they experience the multiplying of the loaves, he's going, this should impact how you approach a, a, a storm. This should impact your attitude, your approach, your, your, your strategy to it. See, food doesn't just multiply, but with Jesus it can. Wind doesn't just stop, but with Jesus it can. His kingdom doesn't follow the rules of this world, and he's trying to help them connect the dots that from how God worked there, God can work here. Are you, are you alive? Let me ask you a question, and I want a show of hands. How many of you have seen God show up in your life miraculously and provide uh, f- some type of financial, provi- in a financial provision? Now, it might not have been money. It might have been like, I need to buy groceries, and food arrived, or I need to pay a bill. How many of you have seen God work? Wow! Wow! That's awesome. Okay, so you see all these hands of people going, God miraculously provided in the area of provision. Okay, so now, here's the deal. Now you have no excuse to expect him to provide peace when you're anxious. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How's financial provision connected with my anxiety? They're totally connected with God. They're in the same sandbox because God is provider, right? See, and sometimes he's, a, he's complete provider. And sometimes we need financial provision and he provides there. And other times we have anxious provision and he provides peace that surpasses understanding. Philippians chapter 4, 6 and 7. See, they're in the same sandbox. And he goes, I want you to connect these dots that where I've worked in the past is a standard for you to approach all things in your future. Now, if your hand didn't go up, but you saw all these other hands go up, guess what? It's the new standard for your life as well. 
I know, you're like, hold on, whoa, whoa, whoa. It wasn't in my life, so how can it be the new standard for my future? Okay, in the same way that Jesus looked at the disciples and said, you feed the 5,000. Had Jesus ever modeled that before? No, he never fed a crowd of hungry people before, but he looked at them and he said, you're capable of it. How is it possible that he could expect them to be able to know how to multiply, multiply bread and feed that big of a crowd? Here's how, because Jesus had performed tons of miracles. He, he helped a blind man receive sight, a lame man walk, um, uh, a demon possessed person be set free. And you want to know what Jesus is doing? He's the lone person raising his hand saying, I've seen, we've seen God work through me. Now let's watch him work through you. He's the one raising the hand and saying to the disciples, I want you to ride the wave of what I've experienced in my life into your lives. Are you, are you getting this? So I get it. Some of you are like, listen, I wouldn't even call myself a Christ follower. That's okay. Christ has transformed my life. See, that's a standard of what he can do in your life. Christ has performed miracles in my life. It's the standard of what he desires to do in your life. There's this standard that we keep, we often, we lower the standard. My wife was talking about it where she was, when she was saying, listen, we've seen God do all these things. And yet sometimes when he doesn't provide the miracle, we go, okay, God, I, I, don't, I don't know what, what happened there. I don't know what went wrong there. And sometimes we can lower the standard and say, well, God doesn't always heal. God doesn't always do the provision. God doesn't always, and I get that, yeah, we don't always see it, but then sometimes what we do is we lower the standard and we go, let's not bother God. Let's not ask. Let's, let's just lower the standard. And yet the standard is what he's fully capable of doing. And we always go for the standard. We always go all the way to the complete standard of what the cross accomplished, believing that this is what he's capable of, that uh, in my heavenly situation, his earthly solution can touch it. And, and bring full, his full provision upon it. I've seen people miraculously healed. So that is the standard when I approach God saying, God, would you heal this person who's in front of me? I'm not going to aim low. Because why would I? The cross didn't accomplish just a little bit of healing. It fully accomplished all of it. And while and this is the beauty of the Lord's Prayer. I love the Lord's Prayer, by the way, because he says, pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we pray for what's happening in heaven to happen here on earth. And there's no sickness in heaven. There's no anxiety in heaven. No depression in heaven. There's no, there's, there's no financial lack in heaven. So we just pray, God, that standard here. But that, I, I know it sounds like such a blank check. You're like, God. God, you're like reckless in telling us just pray for anything. But then he, he says this, but pray your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's, it's my heart saying, I believe you're good. I believe you're sovereign. I believe you have a plan. I believe your plan's better than mine. So while I might be asking for this thing, you might have an even better plan that's a no to my request, but it's actually going to produce something better. And I, my yes is to, I, I say yes to your yes. One of my... This is like, I know it sounds so silly. I learned this about 13 years ago from another pastor. It is the best prayer to pray. Are you ready for it? Yes. That's it. One word. Yes. And when I say that, when I say, I, I say yes to your yes, I am saying I want your will. Your kingdom come, your will, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I say yes to your yes. So I pray the full work of the cross and I say yes to whether that's right or wrong. But I say yes to your yes. 
And I agree with what, with what the cross accomplished and with your heart and your goodness and your will. I agree with it. Man, oh boy. So I've seen miracles of people healed. I've seen people miraculously get jobs and have financial provision. So that becomes the standard of provision. I've seen anxious people walk with, um, become peace carriers. I've watched angry old men become the biggest teddy bears. And you might be like, how's that possible? It's because our God is still a wonder-working God. I've seen the most messed up marriages restored. And I know some of you are like, not if you knew my marriage. <laughs> there was this couple at my last church, and they just, uh, they broke every uh, barrier that has ever existed of what I thought God was capable of healing in a broken marriage. I mean, this woman was having multiple affairs with men. The husband was having multiple affairs with men. And you're like, that, you can't come back from whatever has happened in that. I'm telling you, God did such a restoring work over their marriage, over their sexuality, their view of sex, their, their desires within sex. I mean, God did such a restoring work in them that literally, it was one of those deals where when I, when I finished, that was probably the one time that when they were telling me the story, my jaw was literally on the ground and I wasn't even trying to not act shocked. I was just like, Every time they told me another part of the story, ah, 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 you know? And, and, and so if you're like, listen, my mar- we got them beat. No, you don't. You don't got them beat. And, and God used that couple in more marriages than any other marriage I've ever seen because our God's a wonder-working God. And that's the standard. So if you're like, it's too, ours is too far gone, it's just not. It's just not. Our God's a wonder-working God, and he can do it. But I think what happens in us is that in our hearts is the same thing that happens in the disciples, happened in the disciples' heart. Can we go back to that last slide one more time? It's this last line. It says, their hearts were hardened. That Greek word that gets translated as hardened is, is parao, and it means to become dull, uh, hardened, or to lack the power to understand. So they just don't, they didn't understand. And here's, I love this because the disciple, what Mark is doing is he's saying, listen, we, we didn't understand about the loaves for our hearts were hardened. And what he's doing is he's saying, this is the exclamation point to the story is don't miss how the standard over here can make a difference in your life right here, right now. And he said, don't miss connecting the dots. Our hearts were hardened. We didn't understand. And if he could say something to us, I think Mark would say, don't let your hearts be, become hardened or dull so that you don't understand how when God worked in, in provisions in someone's life right next to you when they raised, raised their hand, that's the standard for how he wants to be the provider in your life. Connect the dots of where he's worked in the past to how he wants to work in your future. And never lose sight of that. I don't know if you ever have to do this, but I, I do. I have to remind myself. Sometimes I just have to tell stories Here's where God was faithful in the past. He'll be faithful in, in the future. And so we're going to end with prayer. Um, and here's how I want to pray. Yeah, we're going to pray over, um, I, I don't know what you're facing, what you feel like you're kind of surrounded by a storm. I'm going to pray to the standard that I know uh, God's capable of pulling off. But I, I want to say this. After I say amen, 
um, at the end of the service. We're going to have prayer partners at the front. I want to invite you to come on down here and pray with one. And here's, here, you might say, why would I do that? Here's why. If there's any situation that you're facing in life right now where fear has your heart, or you feel like I've asked so many times and I no longer can feel like I can even ask to the standard of the kingdom of God, like I, I just feel like, I, I don't know, it's not even real, it's not even authentic. Here's why coming and praying with a prayer partner is so powerful. is because they, you want to know who they are in the situation? They are Jesus walking on water. And I say that not because they're Jesus. I say that because they are not in the midst of your storm. They are walking on water in the sense that they're not afraid. Like if you come up and you're like, our marriage is a wreck. Guess what? They're not feeling any of the tension of your marriage being in a wreck. So what can they do? They can approach praying for you from a perspective of the standard, of the true standard. And they just go after it that way. And, and sometimes, in fact, when I'm most overwhelmed, I always want to find someone outside of my situation to pray for me. And the reason why I want to do that is because I want someone who's not staring at my wind and my waves. They're not, they're not afraid of them at all. And so they can pray for me from a standard of the kingdom of God that I just can't muster on my own because I find myself falling into fear. Does this make sense? And so let's stand. I'm going to close this here in prayer. And then if at the end you feel like, man, there's something I've been praying for for so long and I've kind of just lost even the will or the passion to pray for it. Um, or anxiety just has caught my heart in this area, come and pray with one of our prayer partners and they'll just be able to approach it and pray to the standard um, of what God is capable of. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person here in the room. I thank you for every person watching online. I thank you for every person who is gonna hear this message even in weeks to come or months to come or years to come. Pray that right now, Lord, we would take the things of, uh, that thing that feels like uh, it's overwhelming us and we find ourselves terrified like the disciples because of the wind and the waves. We bring that thing to you. We take hold of courage. We ask for you to work in our lives to the standard and the measure of what your kingdom of, is capable of to completely restore, completely heal, completely bring things into rightness where they are broken or wrong right now. We ask this in Jesus' powerful name. And all God's people said, amen. If you, uh, you want to, at the end here, you just come on up and just share with them. Here's what I'm going through. If you're online, drop the word prayer in the chat, and we'd love to do the same for you uh, there. There's ways to give in the back, ways to give online. Otherwise, be blessed and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. If you'd like to partner with Lakeland in helping people follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, and commit their lives to the mission of Jesus, you can contribute to the mission by visiting lakeland.church forward slash give.